On this week's Big Tech Show, when will cars safely drive themselves on our streets? And who in Ireland is providing the technology to help them do that? We talk to one of the country's biggest automotive autonomy entrepreneurs. I have BMW Drive Assist in my own vehicle and it is much, much safer because we are all prone to distraction, especially when we're on the motorway from Limerick to Dublin, for example. We've all been there where you actually forgot a whole section of the road. So I would say if you take it from a safety perspective and it does allow you to kind of relax. The Big Tech Show, available on all podcast platforms. Shachtan and Indo Askeliga. Time in Mon Iruk the end of Chacht Erechor. Agus Suligam a Makan Shah Gurfeder Echor in Uik Kart Len of Winter Fame. Skilti Fis Turmi. Tashe Dochretche Nach Vetoch Ara Igornamion on Kestin Echol. Vientalam Aginom Griv Orkar Nrachtum. Find us on all the usual podcast platforms. In the world BC, before COVID, one issue dominated the political agenda in Ireland like no other. Now it's back. The housing crisis is becoming the defining issue for a generation that feels it is locked out of ever having a place to call home. 125 houses available. Yeah, I believe so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And look at us here. Top of the queue. <laughs> sure, we'll have the pick of the bunch. So, who's first? Uh, That's me. Best luck, neighbour. <laughs> I'll take all 125 houses, please. What? Sure, no problem. What's the name? Biastard's International Investment Group. That was the comedy trio Foil Arms and Hog capturing why it sometimes appears either impossible or implausible to buy your first home. Despite the protests and election results, it seems nothing has changed as a lack of supply means people can't buy their first houses. I'm Fionn Sheen and you're listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie. As we examine the housing headache for first-time buyers, I'll be talking to Irish independent writer Larissa Nolan about her experience of the housing market and her desire to become a homeowner. I woke up to the housing crisis in 2014 when my rent was doubled and I was given a few weeks to pay the new rate or to get out. So since then, childhoods have been lost to this and a generation have been locked out of home ownership. And Irish independent business editor Donald O'Donovan who coined the phrase cuckoo funds talks about the reality within the market. There is no single solution to the to the housing crisis, no silver bullet. We need lots and lots of housing. We need public housing. We need private housing. We need private housing maybe supported by the state to some extent. We need places to rent, places to buy and we need lots and lots and lots. There's even writing about your own situation. Why do you want to buy a house? I suppose the first reason is my demographic. So I'd say, you know, I'm in my 40s. I have a child, right? So they're all the things at this point that it would be a normal thing to either. I should have it already, but I obviously want one anyway for uh, all the normal reasons. But I would say one of the main drivers of why I want to own my house is because the rent that I'm paying is approximately twice what I'd pay in a mortgage. Um, that'd be a standard enough rent in Dublin. I'm not paying for anything particularly fancy. I don't live in a in a fancy area of the city at all. But years and years of paying twice the rate of a mortgage that is also pre- preventing you from saving for a deposit. Um, you know, it's it's those two factors coming together um, that is, I suppose, the, the main reason why. I feel like I need to own a house at this stage instead of continually for the foreseeable future paying off that massive amount to a landlord. And when you're renting, does it ever feel like it's 
actually home or in the back of your head, you always got this niggling feeling that like I, I could end up moving out of here quite quite fast ultimately. I never feel like it's home. That, that's that's the that's the strange thing, actually, now that you ask me that. I always feel like this is just ours on loan, you know, and I even tell my son that because, you know, he's there. He's now 11. He's been there since he's five or six. So obviously in his mind, this is his home. This is his garden. That's his park. That's his school around the corner. But I have to kind of remind him frequently that this is only on loan to us, um, you know, and that there may be a case where, you know, I don't go into the details with him, but I know myself that I could get a call any day or a letter in the post saying we're selling the house or my daughter has to move in and that within six or seven months that we'll have to be out the door. So you're you're always thinking about that. You know, it's 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 never really you can't actually cling to something and say, this is ours and it belongs to us and this is our life. It's it's really just a passing thing that we have a loan of at the moment. And that notion of your your life, your home on loan, do you feel you're not the only one though who's in who's in that scenario? Practically everybody I know. It could be just the area that I'm in or the company that I keep. I, I I'm not sure what what is the story, but but everybody I know is is in the same position. And obviously some people in a lot more difficult uh, position than me, but they would all want to buy for, for that same reason. You know, there, there, there are people I know paying a thousand euro for a bedsit that they've been stuck in for the last seven or eight years. And they're thinking, well, I should be able to do something better with that money. And, I, you know, it's it's keeping them down. It's keeping them down from being able to actually improve their circumstance and, and do that thing, I suppose, which is the first, which is the marker of entering the middle class, really, isn't it? To home ownership. Uh, I think all of us who are ambitious, hardworking, um, and want to do better for our families that we want to get to that point. What's your experience been in, in terms of, of renting, in terms of the, you know, the, the use economic term, the, the price stability? And is everybody just constantly in fear of this idea of a sudden increase in, in rent, which obviously with, with rent pressure zones down place can't, can't happen as much. But is, is that also a factor in, in your head? That's a huge factor, actually. And I'm, I'm glad you brought it up because it's something that those around me who also rent talk about all the time. We have now in what's called the rent cap, and I put that in inverted commas because really what it is is a state-sanctioned annual 4% rent increase. It doesn't sound like much, so people think, oh, 4%, that's fine. 4% compounded year on year is actually quite a lot. Um, so, you know, you're looking at your rent going up. I mean, if you can imagine if your mortgage was going up by that while your wages weren't every year, you'd be pretty mad about it. But it's also um, something that I kind of compare to the, 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 the frog in the tepid water where it's getting hotter and hotter and hotter until he's eventually boiled to death. That That's what's happening with people who are renting. Um, their wages aren't going up. The rent is going up every every year by this 4%. Nearly everybody's does. And um, people are being pushed into a kind of relative poverty due to it. Everything is getting squeezed out little by little. And then people are getting eventually tipped over um, into not being able to to rent anymore. So that's that's actually a really serious issue, even though it's it's deemed to be solved now with the rent cap. It really isn't. It's just it's just been made official that you can do this every year. And do you think that the, the the mindset that people have around renting is that linked then to their to their mode of employment and the status of their employment? Is that adding to a kind of a a notion that it's not just where I where I live uh, that that's kind of constantly in doubt, but also my my work. So your your entire life is kind of constantly never kind of nailed down with foundations as you do when when you're as opposed to people who, who own their own house and appear to be in more stable employment. 
Well, I don't know because everybody that I know who wants to buy is actually in really stable employment. And maybe that's the thing. Maybe it's that kind of incongruity between I have made my roots here. I've settled down. I've I'm in like I'm the I'm as I'm a self-employed person, but everybody else I know is a, a staffer or, you know, working in a staff job for years. So strangely, it's actually the very people who have that, you know, maybe or not maybe certainly in previous years, if you had made those kind of commitments in life that you would be deserving of the small reward of a house. It doesn't have to be a, a castle or a, a huge house or anything massively fancy. But, you know, that, that, that the very basic that you could get for working those hard hours and, and, and making that, that work commitment uh, would be to be able to to own your own house. So, yeah, I, I find that it's not a case that people say, oh, I'm, I'm renting, so I'm going to move or change or shift or anything like that. Um, it's actually they're the people who feel it, I think, most unjustly, uh, those people who have made those kind of um, those those hard hard work commitments. I'm joined now by Donald O'Donovan, business editor of the Irish Independent. Donald, what is the landscape like now for those who want to buy their first home? It's very bleak for a lot of people. It's it's not so bleak for other people. It, it is a mixed picture. Um, uh, it's complicated and that's definitely worth considering. It's more complicated probably than it's ever been in the past. So uh, People will be familiar at this point, anyone who's interested in buying a house, even kind of vaguely interested in buying a house or an apartment or home, uh, will know that there are central bank mortgage rules. You have to meet those, those criteria. If you meet those criteria, though, mortgages are very cheap, certainly by historic terms. Interest rates are as low as they've ever been. There's There are kind of various supports for first-time buyers, uh, particularly buying new homes. It's worth thinking about, though, who meets the criteria. So we've seen in the last, the first quarter of this year, the last quarter of last year, Huge numbers of people being approved for mortgages. Huge numbers, historically big numbers of people being being uh, approved for mortgages. Uh, that's a good thing, obviously, because people do want to buy. But there are people who meet the criteria. So double income, probably no kids, because that counts against you. Uh, probably two very steady jobs. You know, permanent employment, permanent employment in sectors that the banks like to see. Uh, no kind of queries around kind of pop and and twist and things like that. The banks don't like to see that. Um, but 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 if as I said if you do get approved then um, and and probably a, a deposit whether it's saved because you've got you're two people in very good jobs or because your parents are able to help you out or something like that but there's there's a deposit uh, once you once you hit that criteria you're going to get a, a very attractive mortgage by historic terms much much more attractive than your parents or your grandparents if they had if they had a mortgage would, would have had um, but you're also coming up against it so you're hitting a, a big issue with supply we have too few homes in Ireland. Um, and if you think about it in really kind of broad terms, the number of people born in the country every year is about 65 to 68,000. We see them every year doing the leave insert. You know, we know big numbers of people do the leave insert. They don't go away anymore. So they're coming into the into the housing market or they're coming into the kind of the housing requirement um, space at some point. And people talk about, you know, the ex- expert view is about 33,000 homes needed per year. And then it's a bit like the Grand National. Even if you overcome the hurdles, You've got all these competitors coming along beside you. Some of them in a in a faster position th- than than you are. So yeah, you, we've got lots of people who aren't making it to the start of the race. So people who don't have that double income, no kids, kind of a, 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 a deposit, jobs the bank like, all that sort of stuff. But once you're at the start of the race, then okay, who's lined up against you? There are cuckoo funds. There are big institutional investors that are buying lots and lots and lots of the stock of new homes in Dublin, in particular, in Dublin City, in particular. Uh, mostly apartments. They're a relatively new phenomenon. This has not been a, a feature of Irish life for the last hundred years. It is a feature of urban life now in Ireland is that if a new apartment block is built, the, the day the keys kind of arrive and get turned, 
it's already fully owned. It's already owned by people who want to continue to own it. So it isn't that, you know, these guys are going to flip it. They want to be in there for 20 years, maybe 30 years. Um, so that stock is never hitting the market. And we are also seeing the cuckoo funds pushing out into the rest of the country. On top of that, big, huge cohort of stuff is being bought by housing associations. So you're also competing with housing associations who are really looking to lease or to rent or to provide social housing. So social housing, people tend to think of that as being built separate to the private development. But actually, uh, when a private development is built or gets planning permission or completed, the, there are kind of three core buyers. One is for social provision, probably for housing associations, but also local authorities. Cuckoo funds, a lot of it. And then a relatively small number is there potentially for ordinary buyers. So Donald, what are the proposed solutions that are on the table for increasing supply? We do have a market failure. I think it's worth bearing in mind we have a fundamental market failure. We have too little supply. The market can't solve it. So there is has to be a requirement for the state directly to provide housing in very large numbers. Um, if you think about the, you know, ju- ju- just w- just where the numbers need is, for, for whatever reason, that's had a bad name over the years in Ireland. Um, but it's been a hugely important part of how we provide housing directly uh, for people. Like I, I think about where I live uh, in, in Terranure, between my house in Terranure and Harold's Cross, I walked down through um, housing that was built and developed by speculative developers uh, from the 1930s to the 1990s. Uh, houses that was built by Guinnesses. There was a real lack of housing in the 1950s and the, the company felt that it, it needed to do that directly built big estate. Uh, housing built by the British Army for Veterans, financed by the British Army for Veterans, by the Irish Army for Veterans, by Dublin Corporation, a lot of housing provided by Dublin Corporation directly. Uh, so it's normal to have a mix of provision, to have a mix of, of places where housing is coming from. It's quite normal to have a big cohort of people who rent, uh, uh, which I think we probably forgot between 19, 1970s and the 1990s, certainly. But at the moment, we have a market failure and the state is going to have to step in. It seems to me that, that, that people are looking at very complicated ways of doing that. It's likely that the more straightforward way is for the state actually to build the houses on state land, whether it's the county councils and local authorities who do that or whether you set up a national agency to actually build directly the way, same way that the ESB uh, supplied um, power directly. Uh, th- that's the question, but it's not doesn't seem to be a debate people are having. So the, the debate is really about doing the same things that we're doing and are failing um, and trying to do them a little bit better. So, Donald, you coined the phrase cuckoo funds. How do we now kick the cuckoo funds out of the nest to free up that housing for the people who it was intended for, mainly for some buyers? I, I think we collectively uh, coined that phrase, but um, I suppose there's a question there. Policymakers have to think very hard about is, do you want to kick the cuckoo fund out of the nest entirely or do you want to clip their wings? I'm not sure, given where we are, given the the low amount of housing that we have, given the role that uh, fin- international finance is playing in provision. Now, it might not necessarily be exactly what we want, but it is playing our role in the provision of housing. I'm not sure that any policymaker, now, some may, some may you know, for, 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 for ideological or pragmatic reasons, want to entirely sort of chase that sector out. Uh, I think the, the more important thing is, well, how do you bring up overall supply so that that is much less important uh, so that it is not over incentivized and over profitable? A, a big issue going forward is, you know, where cuckoo funds have cornered parts of the Dublin market, in particular for apartments, they're going to be able to charge a lot of money. If there's massive supply, huge supply comes on, on their power is broken anyway. Um, they've also got very favourable tax treatment and very favourable regulatory treatment in the planning system. And if you start to take all that away, then I think you can keep the, the the benefits of having international investment here providing rental accommodation without it tipping the balance away from 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 
ordinary people. And as as Larissa was saying, it's quite bleak at the moment being a prospective first-time buyer. What do you see the, the the future outlook being for for people in that cohort? Yeah, it is it is bleak and and getting bleaker at the moment. I think it's worth saying that things aren't getting better; things are getting worse, and that's going to have knock-on implications down the road because we know we have a pension problem coming, and our pension problem is going to be umpteen times as bad as it, as 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 it should be if we have a, a huge cohort of people having to pay market rent from very low pensions or from poor pensions in future. The only thing that can help first-time buyers and other buyers is supply. And we also are going to have to think about how people who don't fit the, you know, the straightforward uh, cradle to the grave life that the banks want to see are going to be are, are, are going to be helped here because we have people in their 40s and 50s now who have good incomes but can't buy a home, can't rent in a in a sustainable way and are coming to the age where getting a mortgage is going to start to be an issue, you know, if it's a 20 year, 25 year, 30 year mortgage, uh, which, which it probably needs to be because house prices are rising. So we need to think about that as well. It's not a great situation for people and uh, and it, it's, it's not getting better. And that's a really bad outlook. Rissa, do you have faith in current government policy helping you out in your situation? Or if not, where do you see the solution coming from? Um, no, I don't, because I, I think that um, it, they're still in denial to, to a certain extent about what actually needs to be done. Uh, to completely solve this situation that they have created themselves. And what that would require, as far as I can see, is completely radical change, a form of a revolution in order to to sort it all out for people and just to get rid of this this uh, social injustice, which, which is housing. And I was noticing that in the general election 2020, you know, it kind of was portrayed a bit like the, the homeless crisis. And so it could be dismissed by a certain member of people. I think an awful lot of people could see the human injustice of it um, and felt that very keenly. But it, it could very conveniently be sort of side of uh, pushed aside as something that won't ever happen to me. That's something that will happen to other people. In the meantime, as this situation has grown worse due to the fact it has been ignored uh, for the past year, um, it has moved its way up the ranks. So you're looking at not just those people maybe on the on the margins who are affected, but then coming up through the hard working class, the traditional renters. And then you have moved it up to the aspirational working class who are very ambitious and will always have their voices heard. That's that's the way they go. But definitely straight up into the middle middle classes themselves. You know, I've met TDs who've told me that their own children are living at home with them due to the, the housing crisis. So I think when it reaches that situation, you have a whole generation who are affected and you must take notice then if the whole generation are being blocked out from home ownership. Are you, are you optimistic for the future for you and your son that you'll have somewhere to, to call home? I think, unfortunately, just due to the age that, that I am at this stage and the time limit that is on this, you know, they're not going to get it magically sorted out Um even though I, I'm reluctant to use the term sorted out because it is a, a, a something of their own making. Um, but I don't think it can be unravelled in time for me. Um, perhaps I'll go to a stage where I won't be able to get a mortgage if, if time keeps rolling on. Um, so I am thinking of probably more drastic uh, solutions to it, which would involve leaving the country. I'm having a look at um, maybe going abroad. You know, my, my sister lives abroad and a lot, lots of my friends and my family uh, live abroad and some of them in the UK. Um, so, yeah, I may I may have to look at that as an option because it doesn't seem like if the rents continue to be as high as they are without any rent freezes or anything to stop them escalating and I'm continually prevented from saving a deposit, I can't see how I'm going to get a house in Ireland in the coming years. And do you feel you've any sort of 
safety net in Ireland or any, anywhere you could ultimately call home. I'm very lucky uh, in that my family are Irish and they live in my, my I grew up in County Wicklow. I do have a family home there and thank God we actually own it. It's not a palace, it's a, a, a lovely little, uh, little estate. I'm very grateful that that is in the family, you know, that my mother can turn around to my son and say, you do have a home, you know, your home is here. And, you know, as, as kind of, uh, as much as that sort of makes me feel a, a failure to a certain degree that I can't provide a home for myself, at least there is one in the family, which is the main thing that if it all goes really bad, at least we have that. And that was Larissa Nolan. You were listening to In Focus, the current affairs podcast from independent.ie, produced by Mary Carroll and sound designed by Dara Kerry. You can follow us on Spotify and SoundCloud. For more on this and other stories, visit independent.ie.